Hello and welcome to another episode of Getting Better Acquainted Replayed. In this strand of the show, I showcase episodes from the first hundred or so episodes of Getting Better Acquainted, which went out in 2011 and 2012. There's a few reasons why I'm reposting these episodes. One of the reasons is that SoundCloud has removed the early episodes from my RSS feed, so you can't get all the way back to Getting Better Acquainted number one on the feed anymore. For a while, that frustrated me. I was kind of upset about it. Nowadays, I feel a little bit more ambivalent about that. On a personal level, the loss of those episodes from easy access on the internet, I mean, they are still there. They're all streamable and downloadable through SoundCloud, but they're not on the iTunes feed. I don't really mind those disappearing as such because when I listen back to myself for the first whoa I mean at least a hundred but probably more episodes of getting better acquainted the person that I hear is somebody that I rarely agree with who is an incredibly different person to the person that I am now I've got a different job I've got a different sense of identity I think different things about myself I think very different things about the world The same goes for my guests, I should imagine. I mean, these episodes that I'm replaying come from 2011 or 2012, so we're really different people. And our thoughts on the things we're talking about will have developed, refined themselves, maybe changed, all sorts of things will have happened. I mean, one of the things I was thinking when listening back to this episode is just how different my thinking is now around gender and sexuality particularly but even in terms of race I would use different phrases different terms uh, refer to different ideas now if I was having a similar conversation to this again in fact when this was recorded this was back before I would have defined myself as a feminist I, I thought that men could not define themselves as feminists back when I recorded this although I would have said I was supportive of feminism whereas now I define as a feminist but it depends on what kind of feminism we're talking about because there's a lot of different kinds of feminism out there and I definitely do not support all of those feminisms. But in general, I really love this conversation that I'm going to share with you today, even despite all of that. And I'm sure that my guest as well would also say a lot of things differently now. So please do take all of what you hear with all of that in mind. It was also very interesting to listen back to the beginning of this episode at this point in my life, because me and my partner are currently in the process of working out how to move back to Lancaster, where I met my guest today and where I went to university. So it's interesting to hear those kind of experiences reflected on when I'm in a very different part of my life, going back to the place that at that point I had come from. And it's also interesting to listen to how important music was for me at that time. But now, in terms of my relationship to music, I'm in a similar position to when I was at university, where for the last three years or so, I haven't really been making any music, and maybe even a little bit longer than that. And so I'm really missing music and that part of my identity. This is back when I had a day job, we talk about my day job a little bit in the in the conversation. And now I'm at, again, at a point where I'm considering maybe a day job might be a good way of balancing my creativity and my need to pay the bills. The work-life balance, holy grail that everybody's always 
talking about is something that I'm trying to navigate now. So again, it's interesting to hear. And also because it's a conversation from the first couple of years, I was very new to the experience of having conversations with people. I was still learning in many ways how to do it. At the time, I was very immersed in the theory of how it works and how you do this thing called conversation this thing called communication that I love uh, but at the same time I fret about all the time am I talking too much am I talking in the right way am I having a good communication with somebody where I'm allowing them to be part of that conversation with me is it a co-created conversation all of those things were very much in my mind which was perfect for the conversation that I was to have with Louise that day. Dance is a conversation and as with words there are sort of vocabulary that keeps repeating itself so you sort of recognise it from different dance styles. And so is dance a conversation between you and your partner or you and the people watching you dance? That's a really interesting point. Hello I'm Dave, I'm the guy that's putting all this stuff together I need to get better I want to get better, better, better acquainted with you. Today we're getting better acquainted with Louise. Hello Louise. Hi Dave. <laughs> it's becoming almost like a catchphrase for me to laugh after people say hi because it's just such a weird experience to be suddenly a host, you know, <laughs> and people are like, oh yeah, right, this is a format, we're yeah, in a format. Um, have to sit up straight and put on your radio voice Ex- yeah, and that kind exactly. of thing. <laughs> exactly right. Um, yeah, I always end up having to move it closer to other people because I'm so much louder than everybody else. It's terrible. I'll try and remember to project. Yes, well, we both should be good at that. <laughs> the first question that I ask people is, how do you know me? Ah, right, okay. Dave and I went to university together. <laughs> um, we studied theatre studies at Lancaster between 2000 and 2003. And there were many experiences there. So they mostly involved cardboard boxes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That was a good one. Good one. And sort of like singing songs that I didn't know, tunes I didn't know, in sort of like plays as well, which was pretty cool. How did you find theatre studies? Looking back on it, now, with the safe distance, a, a tremendously good experience. But just after university, I was quite disappointed by it. I didn't really like the faculty, and I wasn't convinced by the direction that they took and the emphasis they placed on different courses. Mm-hmm. I was lucky because I took joint honours, so yeah, I was able right. to balance out, for me, which was good, the literary and dramatological elements of theatre studies with the practical stuff I just thought it could have been so much better yeah I mean I don't think it will surprise you to to hear that I didn't I didn't get on with the course and I mean I I did a minor in creative writing so I had a little bit of a break from it but yeah I mean I always felt like I thought that you were a bit like a fish out of water in the course and I was a bit of like a fish out of water like in performance it wasn't really our our kind of performance neither of us really fitted that no, I thought you were good. Like you were game for it, though. You you put up with ridiculousness. I think because I do. I'm generally a bit silly and a bit ridiculous myself. Yeah. And, and I do love that. And and also, being around people who are passionate about what they do, 
is really inspiring to me. It always has been, so I did get a lot out of it. And it was really interesting. And there's so much of, sort of like for me, it was also about group dynamics and group psychology. There's so much about learning how you can be a person around other people as well, which I found very, like that was probably the best thing I got out of it, actually. Just learning how to be around other people. How to influence, how to kind of get your point across. And it probably took two years to get to a point where I felt comfortable doing that but the fact that I can take that away and go I can do that and I think that's that certainly has worked well for me in my career yeah so it's interesting because I mean your career is very different from what we studied I mean because yes. the, the second question I ask people is what do you do now I'm a civil servant I currently work at the home office <laughs> I work for the government equalities office within the home office it's just surprising that theatre studies qualifies you for that like well I always thought I was not qualified for anything you know I didn't really go for anything that involved qualifications I think my first job I had to have five GCSEs to get it and uh, I've moved up from there but not as a result of my degree I mean did your degree help you no definitely not actually um (laughs) I applied for the civil service on an entry-level programme. They used to do, back in the day, generic trawls for people who had five GCSEs, and then you'd get whittled down on the basis of the strength of your application form. I went for an interview in 2006 and got it, was recognised as having sort of like some potential, was given some great development by managers, found myself working directly to ministers for a short period of time and then moved into a policy role so I've taken a rather circuitous route in my career I didn't go through graduate fast stream I didn't go through gifted and talented or any of the specialist options that are available to people like statisticians or economists so I sort of like found myself doing something in a job which has nothing to do with my career although I maintain that transferable skills are still there. Yeah I mean I think they are I mean Mm. and I hope you learn from whatever you do don't you Mm, I mean even if even if there had been nothing from the course we could have transferred like you say you you, you learn how to exist in something (laughs) that's true I mean it's weird as well the last time that Mm. we met was was a really surreal moment wasn't it it was one of the most surreal moments of my life Um, I was working for the leader of the House of Lords at the time who had been asked to go on a London visit she was filling in for the Minister for London at the time and the the visit was to a Shore Start Centre in London and I got an email sort of giving me the briefing setting out who was going to be there and I made a note of the names and just didn't connect the dots (laughs) I'd seen your name on it and just thought just didn't completely went over my head we got there and and the lady giving um, my minister the tour was sort of like oh and and if we just go into this room there's the the storyteller is with with the children and I was just like (laughs) minister I went to university with that guy and she was like oh that's amazing and she was really she was she really was nice. exci- yeah she was nice about it yeah she was really sort of like excited that I was connected somehow to the project she was very much that kind of sort of like politician she was all like wow you know we're all connected it was a person. very surreal moment for me mm. because it's not what I think anyone would expect me to be doing certainly not someone who went to university no with me. agreed and so and so it was like two worlds Colliding. colliding in a very strange way I'm like hang on I'm, I'm you know playing the ukulele with some children and singing songs and stuff and uh, there's somebody that well in fact who I cast in in a play that I wrote when I yeah. back in back in the day back in the day and, and the thing is is that I you know you do a lot of visits when you work with ministers and generally they 
are sort of pushed towards a particular angle you're trying to get something out of them but this was a really open visit yeah and because of that I think my minister really enjoyed it and because I wasn't on edge because of her I actually really enjoyed it too I very much enjoyed singing with the kids <laughs> but it was it was really it's sort fun. of it was it was, was a really strange moment and I remember thinking afterwards wow what are the chances because I, I didn't know at the time that was what you were doing yeah having sort of like very limited contact through sort of like the loose network we've got of the people we graduated yeah. with but it was brilliant but it's funny because I didn't really do much music as well at uni oh. like it was like I sort of had three years out from, from music yeah. when I was at, and then like I've since uni I've pretty much one of my main things I've been focusing on is making music but I, n- I never really got it together I keep thinking I should have started a band at uni you know but you can't really go back in time and I was, I was quite busy <laughs> yeah lots of fingers and lots of pies. I was doing a lot I mean in fact that play that that, that you were in was yeah. you know, is, is an example of that like mm. because I didn't like the course I made my own pl- plays outside definitely, definitely which I think that's an experience that I can definitely take away from it I learned from a university that no one's going to give you what you want you have to go out there yeah, and definitely. get it and make it for yourself I think yeah when you were at uni yes I didn't expect you to be somebody that would be interested in dance like oh yeah okay. like because at uni I don't remember you doing but I, I did a year do of dance I, I actually studied you did. dance yes, for a I year remember. I remember which that. I took because I wanted a complete challenge I'm like well I can't really get on with the course generally but wouldn't it be interesting to see what someone who can't dance would be like on a dance course <laughs> yeah okay <laughs> and it was it was interesting I learned a lot about my yeah. body and how to move it and stuff and I can now talk about dance a bit better than like, yes. this conversation I might be able to okay. hold my own a little bit here. yeah well but I the stuff we saw most at uni was deviate and stuff yeah, like that contemporary definitely. very contemporary very experimental the release method very much so and and even sort of like our very first sort of task when we did our first year play because Lancaster structured their course so that the first seven weeks or so your first term was towards a performance piece oh my god it was we, so intimidating I mean so intimidating. like people assume that because we did theatre studies that we'll be cool with this sort of stuff but I just want people to if you're listening to this <laughs> imagine yourself in the shoes of somebody that's got no interest or knowledge of this kind of thing and suddenly you're sat in a room with loads of other people in your course and you've got to dance basically the first thing you've got to do is dance you have to spell out your name with a part of your body oh god that was what we were asked to do and I think within three minutes I'd cut my foot and I'd hurt my back <laughs> and I was thinking I've made the wrong decision that's right but you, completely made you the were a decision. dancer though weren't you or you, were you in the musicians no I was in the musicians you were in so the musicians, I was in the musicians. Were I, we talk about musicians loosely there um, we were, we were yeah. music was created through found objects for the piece but and we were called the musicians I got to bang a big <gasps> yeah oh, we did the boiler big boiler for We'd ages and ages and I, I smacked my thumb and I had to go to casualty Okay. The, I, yeah. don't, I don't remember. It was like, will you recover in time for the performance? Mm. I had to go on with a sprained thumb or something hitting that big yeah. thing. And you we know. had a car engine and we had some broken cymbals and violin bows. Yeah. If you sort of like take that as a sketch of it roughly, that was pretty Yeah, the how... performance was called Orpheus and Eurydice. Mm-hmm. So it was based on Greek myth, but it was complete In a 16th dance, century... 16th century... Re-envisioning with interpretive dance. Uh, and sort of like, <laughs> it is that random. It was... It was really, it was a piece done for impact and done for a large group. So I think in terms of sort of like the end result. It made us bond. Yes, absolutely. It it also also separated us though because the musicians are all people who never fitted in because we were never in the 
no, name. we didn't want to dance, we didn't want to narrate. And then there were people who just basically wanted to sort of like be in the middle of things. Yeah. Well, we were always off in a different room. That we was were, the yeah, definitely. I don't think it was quite as bad as the poor girls who had to do costuming or the people who had to do marketing. Yeah. And they really struggled, They I really think. didn't have any kind of way of connecting with the rest of the group who definitely were spending not. all their time in rehearsals mm. and they were spending all their time separate from them. That's a very yeah. strange situation. But, yeah, so that's sort of like... So, yeah, we were asked but to... But you chose not to do dance. Yes. Same as I did. Chose in that, not to do In dance. that first moment, yeah. you, you, was, you were given an option you chose not to do dance that's absolutely right but now <laughs> it's like it seems like it's like from if, 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 if social networking is to be believed which it mostly is I think in general that you it's like all you do is dance all I do is dance um, I mean apart from work apart from work <laughs> actually yeah that's probably frighteningly true actually if I sort of like talk about where it came from three years ago my housemates and I were sat at home on a Saturday night going why isn't there anything exciting to do we live in London like let's do something a little bit different and so we basically googled for things in our local area and we found out that there was a dance party a kind of rock and roll kind of lindy kind of swing party on at the Riverley Ballroom in Hofton Park we decided to go along and Honestly, I've never been so enraptured in a moment. So, like, the music was playing, people were dancing, they looked incredible. And I basically got home that night and was completely buzzing. And I was like, how can I learn to dance? And I just found like somewhere that was starting a new beginner's course on the Monday and went along. And uh, that was three years ago in January. So I've been dancing pretty much every night ever since. And what kind of dance do you do? Ah, yeah, okay. <laughs> this is where it does differ from what we experienced in our sort of like... Um, first day doing theatre studies I am a modern jive dancer that's not the only type of dance I do but that's my home dance the first dance I learned it's a partner dance and some people may know it by the brand name Ciroc who were an organisation who like Zumba built a kind of foundation course based on certain moves franchised that out and raked the profits from it so rock has been going in the uk for nearly 30 years but modern jive has been around for just a little bit longer and it is a partner dance based on salsa type moves and merengue footwork which is set to basically any 4-4 traditional 16 bar pop song right that's basically how it works what attracts you to it? what makes you love it oh gosh that's really interesting because back back then, what, what made me love it back then when I first started was the fact that I was spinning around in circles and I was basically like a kid on a swing or on a roundabout. <laughs> I was like, wee, they're spinning around, wee, I'm going over here, wee, now I'm going over there. And it was sort of like a really joyful kind of like, it was like play. And at the time I was doing really stressful job and it was great work-life balance. It was literally, I could leave the office, go and dance around like a teenager and then know I was going to sleep well and be up bright and early in the morning and feel good because I was doing something active and I was basically messing around but recently as early as sort of last September I've started focusing more on the technique and what makes good lead and follow that is a partnership a dance partnership do you have a partner fixed partner no I don't because the interesting thing for me is how I connect to another partner and one thing sort of I'm trying to do is learn both sides of the dance so So leading and and follow. follow and because I'm focusing on the sort of pedagogy of dance if you will I'm thinking more and more about the technique and so what I love about it now is breaking everything down into a way of moving 
what works, why it works, the mechanics of it, the kinetics, and then thinking about how that then fits to music, because you can dance loud and you can dance quiet, or you can dance both. And so I got a little bit bored of pop music, decided to branch out into swing dancing. Right, yeah, that's, that's right. That's the vintage kind of Lindy Hop dance. Yeah. Basically, swing dance is a vernacular term which basically encaptures pretty much everything anyone did from the 1920s to the 1950s. When the Americans say you're a jiver, they mean someone who throws everything to the pots. Right. But we call them in the UK, Australia, America now, we call them Lindy Hoppers. And is that all like the throwing up and down and n- A none little of that? bit, a little bit, that's but bit that's later, rock and roll yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of jive a little bit later. So we're talking about the pre sort of war and sort of like warriors. Basically, when Charleston was brought in, um, sort of line dances called the Shim Sham and the Big Apple. Um, and the swing so dances. Charleston? Very, very basic, basic Charleston. Okay. I don't do that so great. Because the interesting thing then was a bit like, okay, well, I'm bored of pop music. Actually, I'm bored of swing music. And then I got into blues dancing. That's right. Blues is your big thing. Yeah, that's where I'm kind of at most at sort of home. And um, and I didn't even realise you could dance to blues music. And I didn't even realise that people did. Well, it's a strange, it's a strange marrying blues and uh, dance. Because it's not what you think of. When, you think of. when I think of blues as a musician, yeah. I think of, you know, old black men with a very few strings on their guitar kind of rocking in a rocking chair telling them about their woes you know yeah definitely and sort of the the thing that's really interestingly what dance has opened up to me is the history of music and the history of people in america coming out of slavery i mean people have there are two schools of thought with blues um that it came out of lindy hoppers being too tired to dance at late night parties and wanting to get a bit grindy with their partner putting on some slow music and then people have actually found that blues dancing ran alongside the swing dances but there were no steps so it wasn't taught okay. it became a natural expression just so like folk dancing compared very to much so. classical dancing yeah very much so it kind of came out and we talk about sort of like african-american vernacular dances that you can add steps in of course you can you can add steps to anything but this was basically feeling the music connecting with your partner and expressing it there's there's vintage sort of video footage which you can find uh, through sort of like films like the spirit moves me and things like that where basically people are just throwing it down on the floor they're having an amazing time and they're letting their hair down and they're getting rid of their blues but are they working within a framework because i mean like like the kind of dancing i like to do is in like a nightclub like empty ideally an empty floor or in my room you know without anybody without thinking about anybody just moving my body and not really giving a shit yeah and really enjoying it but i know that that, that, that's not very structured in any way that wouldn't work with a partner i've discovered that doesn't work with partners <laughs> I think it's really interesting if you think about if you think about ballroom and you think about Latin strictly come dancing mm-hmm. or even if you think about the tango or salsa you see on the streets of Colombia or Buenos Aires they are dances which have a framework they have a very basic step which you basically then add on and you experience that dance with your partner and it, it's a social entity in itself and the scene has grown from it the thing with blues dancing is, is that there are there are a handful of basic moves which you consider to be a dance move. You add a straight frame, you add a straight leg, you've got ballroom. You loosen your knees a little bit, you relax your frame, you relax your connection, you put on a blues song, it's the same hold, it's just got a different aesthetic. And I think that basically blues dancers in the 20s, 30s, 40s, are, you know, they're not dancing steps. 
Occasionally they may throw in what looks like a Lindy Hop move, or they might throw in something which you recognise from tango, or they might throw in something, but that's just basically because dance is a conversation, and as with words, there are sort of vocabulary that keeps repeating itself. So you sort of recognise it from different dance styles. And so is dance a conversation between you and your partner, or you and the people watching that's, that's a really interesting point. I was looking enough to take workshops from a really inspiring teacher from America called Justin Riley, who talks about your partnerships being between you and your partner, between you and the music, and between you and actually the floor, because the floor is the one constant in your dancing. Okay. So when you ask whether it's a partnership with you and your partner or with the audience, I think there's definitely different ways of doing it. If I went to a competition, I would be partnered with my partner, partnered with the music, and then also putting on a show, and I would be playing to the galleria. But if I'm just dancing blues at a social night, it's me and my partner, it's me and the music... I might hear something, they might hear something, we might embellish upon something we hear together, I might be doing my own thing. And, you know, you say, is it just throwing around shapes and stuff? Well, at the end of the day, if I've just got hold of one hand, I can do pretty much whatever I like, <laughs> providing at some point I go, oh, sorry, are we dancing together? So there is, there is a lot of freedom, and I think that's the reason why I love blues dancing so much, because there is that freedom, there is that lack of... There's a lot more space in the music, there's a lot more space in the partnership, and there's a lot more freedom of expression generally. So you, you like to have different partners, if that sounds like I'm <laughs> okay, implying something I'm gonna, else. I'm going to let you carry on but, but, but yeah, let me com- complete it. Like, you like to dance with different people. Mm-hmm. And you don't want to kind of go with one person and develop a kind of dance thing with them. And is that because you like kind of to talk like like this like this project? I like to talk to, to lots, lots of different, different people. people. That's a really I really like the way you've put that. I would say that all dancing is social. Right. If you want to take it to competition or performance level, you need a fixed partner because you need that level of trust and that level of commitment, practice, knowing each other, mm-hmm. knowing how each other responds to different songs, different situations. Yeah, I would imagine so. But I think the thing is, is in London there is something like two hundred thousand dancers something like that yeah. and they wouldn't call themselves dancers they go to a modern drive class they go to a lindy hopped class they do something else they are social dancing the dancing is social mm-hmm. you can't distinguish between the social element and the dancing element it's not just a conversation in physical movement you are going to see your mates you are going to hang out so when I sort of like say oh I've got multiple partners or whatever and you sort of like <laughs> nudge nudge wink wink and all that kind of thing you, what you're actually saying is that I I dance because I want to be sociable and I pride myself on being a social dancer like I'll always say yes to a dance I'll ask people I don't know to dance I'll never turn down a beginner even if this is their first lesson and I think that this is sort of why sort of the social element is so important to me and sort of like where my focus is is I want to be able to dance with anybody no matter what their ability and I want them to feel what I felt when I first started dancing which is that amazing sort of moment where you go so that's sort of like why it comes down to the multiple partners thing, definitely. And if dance is a form of communication, I guess you're communicating with body language and rhythm and stuff like this. Mm. I mean, what do you learn about somebody from that? I do verbal stuff, and even then I'm not sure how much... Like, I have to learn... Like, this, now I've, I'm meeting your eyes. I've had to learn to do that. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think, sort of like... In dance, you 
you are connected with somebody your arms are around someone's body and like in a completely non-sexual way you are holding somebody they are holding you once you get past the fact that you are physically in somebody's space the little non-verbal clues still apply are they looking at you are they trying to look down your top don't dance with them if they are but there is that element of are they nervous can you feel their heartbeat are their knees shaking there's that kind of thing and that's not to say that they may just be nervous dancers it's not necessarily anything anything more than that going on but the interesting thing for me is that you learn how to give or mask your own expectations in order to connect with that person if you're a nervous dancer you may be slightly sort of stronger in your frame so that might make me want to soften my frame so that I can feel their movements better at the end of the day we're having a conversation you let me talk I let you talk if we both spoke at the same time if we both started shouting and getting louder none of us could tell where the conversation was going and dance is very much the same when you're when you are dancing with somebody you have to let them speak and you have to speak loud enough to be listened to but equally you have to be quiet enough so that if someone chose to whisper to you you'd be able to hear that too so the subtlety and the range of movements across sort of the loud, the soft the percussive or the kind of languid becomes really important and that changes depending on your partner there are some really lazy dancers who don't do anything but they just kind of isolate their abs and you're kind of there going what are they doing belly dancing with me? You just kind of learn to that and if you're not comfortable with it you never have to dance with them again. At the end of the day you're saying yes to a dance not yes to marriage or yes to some kind of sexual kind of encounter so you've got three and a half minutes or if you're at a live blues gig maybe eight and a half minutes but it's a time limited period that you can just enjoy the music and enjoy being in someone's physical space we're doing this project I find that when I talk to different people I reflect their speech afterwards I edit it back so I guess it's like if you were dancing and then you watched a video of yourself back Mm. so I'm learning that I am someone who I change my vocal patterns according to who I'm speaking to so you do that physically when you dance yeah I think so And, and I think the mark of a good dancer is being able to take what somebody's saying to you appreciate it sympathise with it and then if you want to embellish upon it so you take it and make it yours or you take it and keep it theirs and it's the mark of making someone comfortable with themselves you wouldn't start a conversation with a stranger by going when I was seven years old I did this this and this well unfortunately I do but I mean I agree <laughs> you shouldn't yeah. perhaps in sort of like more generic social settings yeah. there is, there's, there's boundaries and I think in yeah, dance try like, to learn those boundaries <laughs> I'm sure you're doing great, but in dance it's true too. Like in dance, I'm not just going to go up to somebody and start shaking everything at them until <laughs> I know they're comfortable with that. But equally, if the music's not telling me to do that, I won't do it either. So yeah. there's, there's enough of a space to be able to go, OK, I'm listening to what you're saying, so we're just plodding along. It's also a communication with, with the music then, I guess. That's Absolutely. another person in the conversation. Absolutely. And when wow. you spoke about your imaginings of sort of like kind of delta really gritty old school blues robert johnson that kind of like man and a guitar telling his woes then you move into the chicago era and then you've got big electronic sounds even late bb king with sort of the the horns thrown in and you don't know where blues is stopping and soul's beginning or even where blues is stopping and r&b is beginning it's going into the cities isn't it it moves from the out out in the outside to the electricity if we think about sort of like early blues that started where there was no electricity and then once you get electrified amplified blues things change and now you get country blues you get blue note blues you get grassroots blues there are as many different types of blues as you like and then when 
when you take it to New Orleans and you've got jazz and blues and actually where does the jazz stop and where does the blues begin yeah. like you've got really three four five particular areas of the states which produce music which is recognizably blues because of its structure 32 bars that kind of thing I woke up this morning da, 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 yeah. that kind of thing or you've got stuff which has the blue note the kind of discordant sound between the fourth and fifth and you're not quite sure whether you're supposed to feel sad or not and there's that sort of saying that when you sing, you're getting out of the blues rather than having the blues. You're sort of expressing your blues. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, blues as a kind of song form, I guess. It is about joy in in the in the misery. That there is definitely a big nugget of joy in the act of yeah, getting it out. Definitely, the sort of catharsis and that kind of thing. And also the rebellion in the music as well. If you think yeah. about the roots of slave songs, of the working song, they basically were taking the piss out of their owners. They were undermining the authority of those people through song. They weren't allowed instruments, so they would tap out the beat with their feet on the wooden floors in the churches. And that's where gospel came from, because you can't... You can't not have the blues and then realise that goes into spiritual and that then goes into gospel and so sort of I I took an amazing class from a guy called Jared Morin at an event last year who taught us about the basically if you go back to those slave songs you can see the roots of it all all the way through the chain gang stuff into the delta stuff where they were allowed their instruments again then you add electricity and liberation and then suddenly yeah you're still undermining the white guy quite rightly but you're actually sort of like bringing it to them and playing them at their own game and better so the, the music and the dance that you are involved in one of its roots is in undermining the white guy <laughs> how do you feel about that as a white person it's it's a really interesting thing because in my regular blues scene in London there are two black people quite a few Chinese Asian people quite a few Indian Asian people but the majority of dancers are white if you look at the demographic of the dancers, almost all of them are university educated. <laughs> there is a disproportionate representation of white people in the dance Yeah, scene. it's not even very representational of London. It, not uh, at all, <laughs> not at all. And I think the thing is, is that I think it's because there's an argument that it's been buried, there's an argument that it's been pushed aside, but equally the argument is that blues definitely came out of America. It definitely, you, not saying that you couldn't take a song to Africa, or you couldn't take a song to Germany and there wouldn't be a recognition of it or there wouldn't be that kind of like thing. But if you if you're burying that this kind of like I Yeah. I think the thing is is that equally I think it's America who are still coming to terms with the abolition of slavery. Yeah. One of the most inspirational for me, blues historian, blues dancers, a guy called Damon Stone, he's a black guy. And you know, he's like, Yeah, this was us representing when this was the only thing we could do to represent. And I think in England we've moved away from couple dancing to kind of represent and the more emphasis is put on hip-hop and street dancing because of the popularity of the form of music. At the end of the day, you're only going to dance to what you like. Well, hip-hop also came out of America too. I mean, Yeah, and out of blues. And it's, yeah, I mean, hip-hop's kind of the, the modern inheritor of that. that True. That. And I think that's where yeah. London is. London's definitely, like, there are more street dancers, more hip-hop dancers, yeah. more poppers, lockers, all those types of people. There are far more of those in London than there are Lindy Hop, swing dancers, blues dancers. you're an admirer of modern music as well. I mean, Absolutely. The, 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 the other thing that I, I see on social networks you raving about is 
the Grimes mm, yeah. which is <laughs> it's a bit odd isn't it yeah no well I don't think it is in a way I mean it makes sense if you it's, like it's blues the story and you would like crime you know it, the, it's definitely the story the story is in blues music the story is in dance but the story in grime music and certainly in UK rap it's a lot more than people actually give it credit for there's totally. a lot more story in that and I think it sort of like comes from a love of spoken word as well so I really appreciate what you do with your storytelling and your listening sort of projects because for me the resurgence of UK underground music is about people telling their stories and they are the the I'm um, using this in inverted commas underclass and they are the underrepresented and they are the mal- malign people kind of, of claiming back the narrative yeah. from from everywhere else you use the space you have you own that space and then you basically get other people to be interested in your space the same way as you have even here on the south bank you have the people who skateboards like at the end of the day that yeah. was a subculture it's not anymore funny how the subcultures get absorbed into the into the main culture mm. and, and we're now old enough that we see it yeah like, and like we, can... we, we always when you know i remember growing up i knew about that that, mm. that that stuff got absorbed into the culture mm. i'd read about it in theory but i i never thought it would happen in my subcultures and now i've seen it happen it does know. definitely if, now geeks are cool if you did a cross-section of dancers the majority of people who dance work in it or are engineers in so your classes in my classes yeah. you would probably find in modern jive there were more people who work in administrative roles but it definitely in lindy hop there are a lot of engineers there are a lot of physicists there are a lot of chemists there are a lot of biologists <laughs> mechanical engineers people who like one of my friends doing a phd in pure maths and you know these are incredibly bright people and and so this is head cerebral absolutely and i think that dancing gives them a way of communicating with people when they're not comfortable and they haven't necessarily got to grips with the whole oh god I'm actually supposed to go and make a conversation with somebody but when you've got dance as a common language when you've got dance vocabulary it's a lot easier it's, it's, it is a lot easier it's socialising with a form you know Absolutely. how you know you, there are you rules. go and yeah there are rules and <laughs> you can learn them and then if you learn the rules you're okay mm. Yeah, that's interesting. That's an interesting perception. Do you find that there are people who you dance with that you can really talk to physically, but then you can't talk to them That is such an an interesting thing. I think the answer has to be yes. There are people who you can connect with on dance and have zero chemistry with once you come off the dance floor. And you don't know why that is. Maybe it was just a moment, maybe it was a song, maybe it's because you both heard the same things in the song, maybe it's because actually physiologically you connected well because they were the right height, they were the right build. But interestingly enough, and this is quite a girly thing, but we talk about dance crushes, the people who, when you dance with them, they make you feel so amazing, they make you feel like the best dancer in the world. And you think then that you'll have amazing chemistry off the dance floor and when you don't there's that vague sort of disappointment that actually they've let you down a little bit and they haven't but then equally you make friends with people and you're not necessarily comfortable dancing particularly close with them because you kind of know them and you know sort of how they work and and sort of like abandoning that and just being able to be the dancer is a lot harder when when you're with a friend I imagine it's harder to be in the moment because you're aware of all of these other facts you know the context of their world but I think one of the more interesting things is that there's a whole school of thinking about dance on the west coast of America where they go you have to let go of it all in order to be truly able to connect with your partner a lady called Brenda Russell talks about this and 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 actually there is that element where if you if you can't let go then you can't expect your dance partner to let go so it has to be a mutual thing 
and I think sometimes that you become such good friends with the people on the dance scene because you see them week in week out and you get that kind of familiarity and there is an argument that actually sometimes because you are connecting with them physiologically it can really bring your friendship on quickly it can really actually make you know someone better, quicker, more intimately. Not necessarily sort of sexually at all, actually, but actually once you've kind of stood very still with someone and just felt their, basically them do chest isolations, which sounds really weird, but basically once you felt somebody feel the music, you kind of go, well, actually there's nothing left to hide. And if you've removed that politeness and that kind of society kind of veil, actually you are mates. I get this sort of sense from... from which from your social network <laughs> communications oh <laughs> that, that there's something very much like doing a theatre show when you've been away and you've been on a dance like because you go all over the world yeah, doing do, dance yeah. don't you which is I mean that that must be an amazing part it of it is, too it but, but when you come back you're like sharing the experience with all the people who've been mm. you're like saying we had a great time didn't we and it's very it and, is, and it's had... lovely to watch from outside because you can see that there's a group of people who've just had a really intense and in, <laughs> enjoyable experience and I kind of you know I, I miss a bit I miss that I like that that element to, I liked that element of yeah. theatre you know yeah community yeah. and the real sort of like in the bunker mentality You've sometimes been through something and learn <laughs> yeah, something definitely. together some other people yeah and there is that definitely in dance and you mentioned the travelling and I think the beauty of the travelling is that you meet people from all over the world and you immediately have common ground in January I went to Israel and danced in Tel Aviv danced wow. blues in Tel Aviv that was incredible that was really that was really special because it was very new over there. So not only were we all learning from each other because you can't be a good dancer without making somebody else feel good, but also the context of dancing in Tel Aviv yeah. blows your mind. It's a complicated area. Really complicated. And equally, I've been dancing in Scotland this year. I've danced in Ireland. I'm hoping to dance in France later on this year. I will be dancing in Chicago at the Blues Festival in Chicago. Wow. I went to Boston and danced in Boston last year. You know, I'm getting around a little. Bit. I, I was invited to an event in Mombasa. Wow. To go dancing in Mombasa. See, I've got dancing in the streets now, going through my head <laughs> or trying to ignore it. <laughs> <laughs> but it is that kind of the beauty of the travel is that you've got a community. Some of the American professional dancers, they are professionals not because they do shows in Vegas, because they earn their living through teaching dance. They often do European tours in inverted commas where they have multiple events across a short period of time and they decide to teach a weekend in London, a weekend in Manchester perhaps. Then they'll go over and teach something in Zurich or they might teach something in Amsterdam or they might teach something in in Moscow. And they basically, they survive off their network of friends because they're not at home and they don't have the home comforts. And it is lovely to know that there's always going to be somebody in some place in the world who knows why you do what you do and loves it for the reason that you love it for. Dance is, is an international language. You don't have to be able to speak <laughs> no, the same language. No, you don't have to be able to speak the same language. That's very true. If I do go to the event in France, the classes will be in French. My French isn't good enough to be able to understand that, but equally, it's if imp- I'm able to... impressive that you've got any French. I've <laughs> got nothing. I've got nothing. <laughs> but I think it's true. You are able to sort of like just know that it's supposed to feel like this even if it's spoken differently as i said in the intro to this conversation lots of things have changed for me in the way that i think about gender since we recorded this conversation and this conversation in a way is part of that development i am publishing a book 
through Unbound. Unbound are a publishing company, which means that they don't publish things that they don't think are good and that they edit and they support their authors. The thing that makes them different from other publishing companies is they're half publishing company and half crowdfunding company, which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books. They can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback, or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering. Unbound approached me in December to see if I wanted to adapt my show What About the Men? Mansplaining Masculinity into a book and I said yes please I definitely would like to do that and so that is what I'm doing. If you go to the Unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find Mansplaining Masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book. The way that this book is going to get made is by people like you pre-ordering it and pledging to it and people like you telling other people about it, sharing it on social media, recommending it to other people, those kinds of things. You can find out what the book is fully about by reading about it on the page. There's a video of me in a purple dress and fedora with my childhood toy dolphin telling you about what the book is about. Video is your preferred way to absorb information. But basically, Mansplaining Masculinity is about looking into myself and looking out at culture and thinking about how masculinity is constructed and created and how systematic elements contribute both to the ways that men are hurt by society but also the ways that men hurt other people in society. It is not a book that says that men are the problem. But it is a book that will say that we can be part of the solution. And if you want to get an idea of what it's like before you pledge to it, you can listen to a podcast of the show that it's adapted from on the website mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk. And also there was an episode of BBC Radio 4's Forethought called Liberating Men, which was a reflection on an extension of the show. So listen to those shows, see if you like what you hear, and if you do, then please do support and pledge to make mansplaining masculinity happen. So when we were talking about talking about dance yeah. <laughs> beforehand, you sort of started to, t- to tell me about the kind of what you've learned about the politics of dance. Yeah. What, 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 what did you mean by that? There, well, there's, there's, there's certain things that happen in every community where you have hobbies. You will always have divides between those who have influence or power in a particular scene and those who feel disenfranchised or don't have the power in their scenes. But what interests me most about dance and the politics of dance is gender in dance so in for example modern jive it would not be uncommon to hear men take your ladies by the hand you're thinking back to the day of tea dances where you know the ladies will be waiting against the wall waiting for the man to come and ask her for a dance and that might be the person who was considered her suitor and she might marry the person she danced with on a sunday afternoon i struggle with the fact that some dance styles and i do say some not all 
actually haven't got away from this concept of men lead and women follow. Right. There is a dance forum on Facebook called the Dancers Forum who spoke about this recently and basically a lot of the older dancers, and I, again I use that term very loosely, think that breaking it down into leaders and followers is just an Americanization too far and they think that it should always be men and women or guys and girls or ladies or gents and that kind of thing whereas for me dance should be completely gender neutral because if dance is an international language then dance should also not know any performativity or gender boundaries actually shouldn't enter into a kind of gender binary so as a woman you should be able to lead or follow and you should be able to lead men or women Absolutely. And same for a man. You know. Absolutely. But it goes even wider than that. Okay. So it comes down to the points of why is dance sexualised? There are dance styles which are sexy. Let's not beat about the bush. There, there are. Absolutely. Rumba, tango, like, oh my goodness. And when, but they should be sexy whether they are danced between men and men, as Argentine tango is done, or between women and women. And, and at the end of the day, that's a discussion about whether we are comfortable with sort of like hetero norms in dance. But if you take it back to gender again it should be a girl should be able to dance without fear of getting her boob grabbed or a guy should be able to dance without a girl kind of like grinding against his crotch it shouldn't be about sex and I think a lot of dance styles do pitch themselves against the idea of dancing makes you sexy if you dance you are more attractive if you dance this 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 yeah that's, I mean that's fair that's true that's what they do sell it as and I get annoyed because you will walk into certain freestyles, that's where there's no lesson, they just play music and people go dance. And you know of the girls who are never going to be off the floor because they always have a dance. And to credit to them, they are not necessarily wearing nothing or anything, but they're pretty girls and they are going to get snapped up like that. And then you've got the guys who are the hot guys, you know, they're the ones wearing the Latin trousers, they're a bit too tight, (laughs) they're the ones wearing the see-through shirts, they will never be off the floor either. You know, sexiness and dance clearly works, but if you are a girl who's just out there having fun, and you're wearing a t-shirt and jeans, because that's what you're comfortable with, but actually you can't get a dance, and... It just becomes a bit of a kind of awkward situation where you feel devalued because you're not dressed in a certain way. It does kind of, it all ties in this kind of performativity and the fact that on first encounters you're going to go as to how someone attractive looks, but it should never be a self-perpetuating thing. You shouldn't feel like you have to and there shouldn't be pressure on you to behave or look a certain way. And something which is being experimented with in America at the moment is this idea of gender bending your dance so you spend an entire weekend dancing as your non-preferred dance role so if you are generally a leader usually a guy because you've probably spent the first three four years of your dancing career leading because that's what everybody tells you you ought to do you then spend an entire weekend dancing as a follow and you learn what it's like to what makes you feel comfortable is it sort of like just changing your body position slightly back to technique or is it actually just having a really sort of open attitude to the fact that you are following and not thinking that's about sex or grinding or something else I can't get into the detail of it enough in a really short space of time because <laughs> it's it's such an it's such a knotty issue I'm not um, used to people saying that everybody always thinks it's too long <laughs> but I guess for me it's kind of like if 
I were asked to dance and it was a really nice dance and there was connection there and it wouldn't matter for me whether the person asked me to dance was a woman or a man and that's coming from a girl who's straight yeah but equally, you know, there are guys on the scene who feel really uncomfortable, gay guys on the scene, who are a bit like, well, I don't want to dance as a lead. Like, for me, like, I want to be able to do both, or I want to be able to follow. Are there people left on the sidelines because of the fact that not everybody can ask? For yes. A... Okay. Yeah. So a girl can ask a guy to dance sometimes she, if she feels comfortable. But equally, if you are, usually there are not enough guys on the scene. There's not enough guys at a party. There's not enough guys at a dance. Yeah, there's always not enough so guys. So there's always going to be girls left over. Well, it's a girl who's used to being left over for no fault of sort of like anything. If you learn to lead, automatically you double your chances of getting a dance. So learning to lead become, makes you a better dancer. Not just socially, but technically, because you know it from both sides. Yeah. You know what feels good, you know what feels right you know what feels feels uncomfortable one of the things that I love to do one of my social nights we're usually two girls to every guy if I go and dance at that social night I will dance exclusively with girls because they'll feel more comfortable about just dancing and they as beginners will feel a lot more comfortable about dancing with girls there is an organization in London called Swing Patrol who are amazing because basically they entirely entirely step away from that they have always in every class opposite gender opposite roles so you'll have guys following and you'll have girls leading in every class they are so respectful of that and they talk about it on every single communication they're like no matter whether you've got two left feet whether you're a leader or a follower whether you're black white gay straight trans uh, you know guy or girl you can enjoy this dance there is there's space for you in our dance world and I really appreciate that and I really get behind that and this comes from a place where in certain other dance styles you are not allowed to compete as in the matching with a stranger where you go into a dance with somebody you do not know and you're judged on your ability if you dance in the opposite role so for example a guy couldn't enter that competition as a follower he would have to enter as a lead there are other organisations which are actively told to discourage same-sex partnerships. So if they see two guys dancing, or if they see two girls dancing, the people who are employed to run that night are actively encouraged to go and break that up. And for me... That seems very strange. It's very I mean, strange. It's also borderline illegal. adults can do what the quite. hell they like. Yeah. yeah, and there is that point that you're paid to go to a class, but if it's your choice to dance with somebody who you like, who you have fun with... Considering what you're saying, wouldn't it be, in a way, preferable for you to always dance with girls? Because if you don't want there to be any... or, or don't see any sexual element to it... Mm and you are, as you say, a straight woman, mm. then you're not really going to get any kind of complications no, from dancing actually, with a woman. I but if you dance with a bloke, there could easily be complications. It's a really imagine. interesting point. I was at an event where I spent the entire event there as a lead, and one of the girls came up to me and said, I'm really not comfortable dancing with women. And I said, OK, can I do anything to make this more comfortable for you? And she was like, no, I'm just not going to dance with you. And this was in a workshop situation where you danced with everybody to learn the moves, so you right, danced so with you everybody. She was not comfortable with that. I respected her for being honest enough to tell me and not letting me make her feel uncomfortable because for me it's all about how you enjoy your dance. But I was equally really disappointed that I didn't have any power to go, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to dance with me. At the end of the day, you can always step away from the dance. 
it's, only, it's only dancing. But the other problem is, is that the dancing in England, in blues especially, which is where my energy is at the moment, is really new. Like, it's probably been around for five years. Absolute max. And the idea of breaking down gender roles in a scene that new is really difficult. Yeah, yeah. Because people have come from other dance styles. They've been dancing 10, 15 years. You can't ask them to unpick that overnight. So, yes, I could spend my entire time just dancing with women and not giving a shit, basically, about what anybody said. Or I could actually choose to encourage other people to same-sex dance and break it down that way. I often teach, as from a lead perspective, that helps having women teach lead and having guys teach follow or vice versa mixing it up works it can be confusing for brand new people who actually they don't need a man as a lead and a woman as a follow they just need people to be consistent dancing friend tortoise a couple they would swap lead and follow all the time and they would just wear a hat when they were in the lead and that works because people go oh okay you're leading okay you're following but it's really difficult because there are so few women that lead but if I want to follow, I have to ask a guy. There are some girls I can ask, but actually more people... I'm known for being reasonably good as a lead in the scene, so a lot of people seek me out and ask me to dance, guys and girls, because they know I'm good. So then I can't say to them, oh, would you mind if I just... Because it's kind of going... But we're trying to do this thing called influencing and interjecting in dance, taking ownership of the dance, whether you're follow or leading. And then you, it breaks it down completely, and you don't know who is leading or who's following. But that's a really advanced technique, and there's only a handful of people in the London scene who are comfortable dancing like that. I said before that an advanced dancer listens to their partner, so when you've got that listening stage at a really sort of like keen level, you can lead and follow within the same dance. Okay. But because it's such an advanced Switch. technique, absolutely, or Lolo or Flolo or Fleda or whatever, but yeah, we, we, um, I was involved in the organisation of a blues event in February and we asked people to, re- to, to register as either Switch, Lead or Follow. Right. And we had five Switches register out of 180. So it's there is though. I mean, okay. So I totally get what. Or, or, okay. Yeah. I totally get sorry, what a bit saying. of a rant. I'm no, 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 sorry. No, no, no. It's, no, 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 it's no, no, something I'm, that I'm thinking I'm, about how to. I appreciate the rant. I like it. <laughs> but but but. So, so I, I, I get what you're saying, and I can understand the frustrations and everything that you're yeah, saying. Yeah. And I, I guess you're kind of a gender a- activist within the world of dance. Yeah, yeah, I'm say? guessing that. I am guessing that. I'm, and I'm trying to figure out the best way to do it. There are a couple of people I know very well who are gender activists in other areas who are writing, and I'm finding that stuff very interesting. But I, bringing it into a new scene and breaking that down for people who don't see the problem yeah. is a whole different ball game. But there is an element to dance, though, surely, that is always going to be about sex. You did say that there yeah. are sexy dances, but yeah. also, I mean, a, a, most dance started up as, as, as courting rituals, as, yeah, as, okay. as we've already yeah. kind of touched on. You know, there was a time when you didn't have sex before marriage, but you yeah. did dance with you someone, dance, and then you got yeah. an idea of what their pheromones smelt like <laughs> and, and all of that stuff that, you know, yeah, would okay. be handy to yeah. know before you get married. Yeah. And uh, most dance styles have that element 
like within them. And I, I'm not saying that that, that that isn't the only thing that you can get from dance. And it's really no, nice. No. I really like the idea of, of not having to think about the sex element. That is great. I mean, I've always enjoyed dancing with men for that reason. Certainly when I think of myself clubbing, I much prefer dancing in a circle of men okay. than I do... Yeah. Okay. If there's women there, because then you're like, do I look good? All this stuff. And so <laughs> uh, you can't... I don't know if you can always... If you can get that out of it completely. No. And I accept that, and I accept that <laughs> wholeheartedly because I would be the first to say that actually it does, it, that level of things do work for people and it is a really interesting way of getting to know people who you fancy or have yeah. the hots for or that you might have a little bit of a crush on. But for me, it's, it's not about taking that away, it's about giving the alternative. Yeah, good. You may have seen the same-sex couple who did a dance routine on Britain's Got Talent. You may not have, Dave. <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I'm not against They were considered some dancing. kind of, like, exotic other... And some people thought they were freaky, and some people were absolutely loving it. Some people thought it was camp to the sort of nth degree. Generally, the judges across the board really liked it. The point was, is I've seen that couple dance in the same-sex dance partnership. They have the world champion same-sex dancing, much the same way as you have the world champs of Latin and ballroom. Mm. Does that get any airtime? No. No. Does it want any airtime? Probably not, actually. They probably enjoy it being a really niche thing for the, the better dancers who are actually in same-sex partnerships. But it, that was held at the Riverley Ballroom. It was an amazing day. It was so warm and so inviting and so in- all-encompassing. And I think, for me, because dance has the potential of being warm and inviting and also welcoming irrespective of your sexual preference or anything about you you walk through the door you're just a dancer you are not the civil servant you're not the barman you you can leave that at the door because you can lose your inhibitions completely on the dance floor then surely there should be the space for every hang up to be gone and it comes back to this point of letting go to be able to connect so you should be able to not worry about whether that guy's concentrating on the fact your boobs are pressed against him and you shouldn't have to worry about whether he's breathing a bit heavily in your ear and there will always be people like that it's creating the space though how does how like I get all that that's really I I love it all Mm -hmm. up until the point where you're like you shouldn't have to worry about having the guy you shouldn't have to worry about it I didn't say you shouldn't there's no time for you to enjoy it or no, there's no time no, no, no. to just experience but, but I'm it. Just, I'm trying to put myself into the position of the guy, right, in that particular thing. Physiologically, there is there is little he can do if he, if he reacts. There, is, there, there, there are things you can do. You, there are things you can do. If you, are, if you are worried about something that's happening to your physiological kind of <laughs> makeup when you're dancing with somebody... You can step away from the, the close hold and you can basically break it out into what we call an open position where basically you're just dancing on your own and you're having a ball. If things have got to the stage where that would in itself become an embarrassment, you know, yeah. and shortest thinking of Anne Widdicombe or whatever, it happens. Nobody's like, I'm, I'm not an idealist and I'm and, and some kind of freaky, kind of like puritanical. No, I don't think you are. But the, I, I know you don't. But, but yeah, yeah. People shouldn't think People shouldn't think that I'm puritanical and kind of like anti-sex before marriage or anything like that but what I'm saying is is that if you are uncomfortable with the sex element then there should be space for you no, to feel safe about it and I think that for a long time there isn't the safeness 
And I, you know, I have girls come up to me going, I really love this style of dancing, but I re- don't feel good about when this happens. And I'm like, well, okay, push your fingers just below the joint in his shoulder. He'll feel the pain. He'll step away. You won't really know why, but it will work, and it does. That's, and it's that kind of that's like, a good tip. But I'm, it's, sure, I'm sure. I, I've <laughs> never been in a position like, of having to get having, someone to move away from me. But uh. it's just having the options, and that for me, it's about options with dance. So if you want to feel safe, you should be able to feel safe. Some people would just only dance with certain people because they know they'll never get that attitude. And I don't want ever want a dance scene to become cliquey because that guy in the corner basically rubs his thing against your thing. You want to have more conversations and you can't yes. have that if people are closing them down all the time. Yeah, definitely. Equally, yeah, if there's a sexy song and you're with a, a cute guy or a cute girl, like, go for it. Because at the end of the day, it's three and a half minutes of your life that you're never going to get back. And I'm not talking about sex, I'm talking about dance. Yeah. But, yeah, it's that kind of thing. It's like, just, you know, you just lose yourself in the moment. It, it goes on both ways. If you want to let go and just but feel it... But that's the eternal problem, isn't it? Mm. Judging when the other person wants to grind or when they just want to dance. There's a general rule. Like that is a, there is a, general a problem rule. for human beings to negotiate for, for our, forever, forever. We sort of like say yeah, in the social dance that if you've had two dances and you have a third then they're interested. If you then carry on and then have a fourth, this is in a row, this is spending 20 minutes in someone's physical presence. If you have the fourth, they want you. Right. If you stay for the fourth, you probably want them too. If after the second dance you say, I'll find you later, that means you're open, it's the amber traffic light, you're not necessarily closing down the chance of something happening between you, but you're saying, not right now. And if after the first dance you say, I'm sorry, I'm not really interested. You, you just say, thanks so much for the dance, and then you back off. So you have to wait for that fourth dance moment. See, there's a nice, it's, again, a rule. It's a social norm. A rule, norm. a rule, a, rule, a, a way of working it out. No, I think that's good. That's why everyone's in these problems, aren't they? So everyone's lost without rules. Pretty much. Pretty much. Well, that's, I mean... <laughs> the... the lo- <laughs> I really like what you're saying though about dance and I really like the idea of creating this way of communicating and being social which is safe and mm. which is open and which is open to being played with. You don't have to be one no. thing or the other. I think uh, equally, it should be open, it, it should be as open as, it, as the person as in it wants it yeah. to be. So if that's, you want to go out and you want to pull, that's fine. But you should never make somebody else feel like they have to. Yeah. And that's the point I'm trying to get. And actually, that's the post... Post post feminist kind of ideal is being able to choose to be a slut or being able to be a slut or not wanting to be a slut. Well, we've got to post post feminism. Well, you know what? You you know I'm being slightly ironic. Yeah, no. The the point remains is that as as a woman in the dance scene, I'm struggling with the role I'm supposed to perform as a girl dancing and the role I'm supposed to perform as a follower and the role I'm as a follower leading or a girl leading and knots up really tightly and I'd love to unpick it some more yeah well I think you, it sounds like you're, you're giving a good <laughs> I'm go giving I'm giving a good thought I'm, about I'm, it. I'm it the last question that I ask people is do you have anything to plug dancing social <laughs> dancing more generally there is dance night on every night in London if you want it if you're not in London there are dance nights in the UK salsa bachata tango 
Siroc, Modern Jive, Lurok, all these kinds of dances. For me, you may wish that if you want a really easy dance to start and basically be guaranteed to be dancing within six weeks, check out jivenation.co.uk. If you want to learn the best swing dancing from the best people in the country, absolute pros who have real energy and real spirit, check out swingpatrol.co.uk. And if you want to blues dance, Google Blues In My Shoes, Blues Baby Blues, um, Sin City Blues, or try and check out bluesrevolution.co.uk. Do I have to be, like, fit and good at dancing? No, absolutely not. You do not need to have a partner. You do not even have to have dance shoes. All you need is the willingness to just go in there and give it a go. Give it an hour of your evening. You will not regret it. If you come back more than twice, you're a dancer, whether you believe it or not. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for giving me an hour of your evening. It's been uh, a pleasure getting better acquainted with you and meeting up with you again after such a long time. The last thing that I ask people to do is to say, goodbye to the audience goodbye to the audience everybody does that oh. I'll have to start but no I'm not saying that you're, you're oh sorry no 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 no. I'm not saying it I'm not saying anything negative about it I'm just trying I'm trying, I'm trying to think I have to start sort of phrasing it in a slightly different way yeah because it is the I, I think if I was in your shoes I would say goodbye to the audience as well yeah Absolutely. it's the obvious thing to do well thanks to everybody listening Clap <laughs> <laughs> hey star brilliant thanks bye interested in hearing about masculinity and what patriarchy does to men and to all people if you go to the unbound website and there'll be a link to this in the show notes you can find mansplaining masculinity over there and pre-order a copy of that book unbound is a kind of cross between a publishing company and a crowdfunding company which means that the way that the books get published is that people who want to read the books pre-order those books they can pre-order them as a digital copy or as a hardback or they can pledge more money to get different kinds of things along with the book that they're pre-ordering you can find all of that stuff over on mansplainingmasculinity.co.uk if you're interested in reading about me and my dad and our relationship and dementia and memory and time and history and politics and love and friendship check out my essay series down to a sunless sea memories of my dad do please check out the family tree at thefamilytreepodcast.co.uk but also consider becoming a patron and contributing to our patreon campaign and helping us to make the show because it does cost money to make the show it certainly costs a lot of time to make the show and we could really do with your support and even if you don't listen to the family tree consider becoming a patron to the family tree because if you listen to getting better acquainted and you like what i do with this show then A way that you can give something back to me for all of the free content that I've given to you over the years is to support the family tree and help that show to grow. 
And finally, Getting Better Acquainted can be found anywhere that podcasts go to hang out with each other on the internet. It's on Twitter at GBA Podcast. The show's Facebook page is just Getting Better Acquainted. And if you want to email me about the show, you can do that at gbapodcast at gmail.co.uk. If you want to talk to me directly about things that I talk about on the show or about any of my other projects, you can find me on Twitter at GooseFat101. And now it's time to say goodbye. So goodbye, everybody. And remember, there are lots of ways to get better acquainted.